Hello and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers. I'm Matt Bazell, and here I have a good fellow I want you to meet, and he better not make me look like a jerk. Ha 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 Hi, I'm Ethan Knight. Was that your Ray Liotta laugh? Oh my god, his fucking ugly laugh. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. It, it seemed to be there was so much open mouth, teeth bared laughing in this film that there had to be some sort of actual director. Oh my god, it had know, to control if Ray Liotta actually laughs like that, then I just don't know what. And it was kind of in awkward times too, so yes. that, that was like the one of the I think most off putting things about this film, which I guess <laughs> you'll realize is you know not a very big concern so i think ultimately that might say a little bit about what i thought of the film yeah but before we get into that why don't we get a basic plot summary from you ethan yeah sure i will do that for you um so goodfellas is the story of henry hill uh who's always wanted to be a gangster he tells us in the first uh like five minutes um he grows up in brooklyn working um in a mob run cab stand he works his way up into the mob meeting and getting really close with Jimmy Conway, who's played by De Niro, um, and Tommy DeVito, who's played by uh, Pesci. Um, They commit a bunch of sort of small, semi-small time crimes, nothing too big. They rob a bunch of trucks and stuff like that. Um, But eventually, they set their sights higher, and they score really big on an airline robbery. Shortly after that, Henry meets Karen, who will become eventually his wife. Uh, She, too, is seduced by the mob life. Uh, When Henry, Tommy, and Jimmy meet um, another gangster, Billy Blatz, in a bar, though, things start to go downhill. Uh, Billy insults Tommy, um, and the violent and unstable mobster comes back and beats Billy to death. However, Billy's a made man, um, so the three have to cover up his murder or risk mob retaliation. So they stash the body in the trunk of Henry's car, and then they go dispose of it in the woods. All the while, Henry's been um, uh, cavorting with his mistress, who he eventually puts up in an apartment. His wife, of course, discovers this and loses it. So Henry moves out for a little bit, but his mob leader slash mentor, Polly, cools down the situation and sends henry and jimmy down to florida to collect on a debt however the debtor's sister squeals and they both receive 10-year prison sentences however prison really isn't that bad for henry as mobsters live fairly well in prison but he starts to sell drugs despite Polly's explicit ban on selling drugs his stint in prison ends up being pretty short and after he gets out jimmy and his friends steal six million dollars in another airport robbery. However, Jimmy gets really angry at the lavish spending that some of the other people are doing, and fearing getting caught, he starts whacking them one by one. Eventually, uh, Tommy is tricked into thinking that he's going to be, uh, he's going to become a made man, he's going to be made, but instead is shot in the back of the head in retaliation for the murder of Billy Blatz. And this is when things start to get really bad. Uh, By the early 80s, Henry is really deep into the drug trade, and he's heavily using it himself, uh, and he's really, really paranoid, but his paranoia ends up uh, being sort of validated when the FBI busts him. Uh, Polly disowns him and gives him a paltry amount of money, and Jimmy clearly intends to kill him, and so Henry makes a deal and puts himself into witness protection. So he squeals on Jimmy and Polly, uh, and they're put away. 
Um, and Jimmy ends the film lamenting his new normal life in exile, suburban exile. So, Ethan, you mentioned that it seemed apparent that Jimmy was going to kill Henry, although I'm not quite sure. I think we are set up to believe that Henry is justifiably paranoid, yeah. but I'm not convinced that Jimmy is actually trying to kill him. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't disagree with you, but I, you know, I think he thinks it's pretty obvious. Yeah, absolutely. Is, he fully you know, believes that his life is in danger. Oh, yeah. Um, from Jimmy, if not others. But we don't think, you know, Polly really doesn't seem to care that much. He writes him off, right? Yeah, he does. And Henry takes that as a huge slight. But, I mean, if you think of it this way, Polly said, don't get into this stuff. I don't want you getting into this stuff. I understand you had to do some stuff in prison in order to make it by. Yeah. Because if you recall, Polly actually doesn't support Karen when he's right. in prison. So they all turn their backs on him. And so he kind of takes that as a snub. And it's in direct contrast to when he first gets pinched, as they call it. Yeah. Where he's selling the cigarettes and then they get taken before the judge and they let him off. And Jimmy gives him you know, a wad of cash to say, oh, this is your graduation. Right. Which yeah. is kind of a, a nice inversion of the childhood sort of arc. Yeah. But that doesn't hold true when he goes to prison for, you know, he's sentenced for 10, but he only serves four, gets back out and... Paul eventually finds out but yeah there's this there's a tension there absolutely yeah well and and that's you know the most important rule he says at the beginning is to you know keep your mouth shut and don't rat on your friends um and if you do those things you'll be fine you know in the end he finds out that like it's quite the opposite like he keeps his mouth shut but even though he you know even though he keeps his mouth shut when he gets in trouble they write him off and so you know he has to he has to basically say fuck it I'm going to turn you guys in because you're going to kill me. Um, so, yeah, I like that inversion. Because when he is initially taken in by who I assume is the FBI or DEA, he doesn't say anything, right? They bring in everybody. Lois Bird, the yeah, babysitter, the transporter. Babysitter. Cheryl, his new, new girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't say anything then. It's not until he thinks his life is threatened. So yeah. he was never put in a position where he thought he was going to die. But it is set up earlier in the film that people were getting far too comfortable with murder, right? Yeah. That Jimmy, in any case, doesn't want to pay uh, Morris, and or I think they call him Maury, right? His full name yeah. is Morris. It was just kind of reinforced. Everyone it names ends with a, like a Y or an E sound. Yeah, I know. Henry, <laughs> Billy, Jimmy, Maury, Polly. At some point, that's just a little, a little yeah. crazy. Maybe it's a special case for us because we have to remember who these people are. Right. But... That's he kills him because Maury is too insistent about getting his money, uh, which doesn't seem a justifiable reason. He didn't wasn't spending lavishly. He wasn't threatening to go anywhere. Um, but we do get that one scene. I think it's really important where Karen goes and talks to Jimmy, and Jimmy asks, "Is he ever? Does Henry ever talk? Does he talk to anybody?" And then she goes down to get the dress or whatever, mm-hmm. and has this moment of fear that Jimmy's going to kill her. Yeah. So I don't know if they're both being paranoid or what, but. It is, I could see a read either way that either Jimmy fully intends to kill them or it's all in Henry and Karen's head because they've so messed up on cocaine by this time. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Jimmy is on a murder spree, basically. I mean, he takes out everybody that was in that heist at the end. He takes everybody out. And so, you know, I guess being paranoid in the end maybe saved them, probably did, you know. Right, yeah, it's hard to say. It certainly saved him. But I think when we get into our, our theses for this, 
I'm going to argue it's perhaps not salvation at all. Yeah. But I wanted to talk a little bit. We talked about with Fringe Connection how it ends very abruptly and you have the slideshow of texts and pictures yeah. talking about the based on the true story stuff. Mm-hmm. And we get that also here. Yeah. This one's felt far less jarring, but I was never given any indication that this was going to be based on a true story or that these are real people. Whereas I think the French connection, I sort of had that understanding up front. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, at the first frame of the movie, though, is this is a true story. Oh, I thought I, maybe I took that in the metaphorical sense. Like, oh. this is what it's like on the inside. Oh. So if I could mention briefly before we get into themes, how well done I think the movie is, is especially that first half with Henry growing up, you really feel like being in the mob is the best thing ever. Oh yeah, the the yeah the youthfulness it seems you know, and and you see him go from like no power, he's getting beat by his dad, to like walking in with the mob people, and there's that great shot where he's right in the center of the frame, um, and he's like flanked by all the the mobsters, and they beat the shit out of the uh, the, the, the mailman carrier, yeah, and uh, you know you you totally see this like rise from nothing to you know he's like 16 years old and just steps in a door and people get get beat right and it's a sort of a very empowering thing for henry and you can see the appeal to it right to a young kid yeah and we talked about the inversion of the graduation earlier so that really cements that and you really see how he becomes so involved with what he is but there's relatively little violence outside of that you don't see a whole lot of violence in the film explicitly well, i mean people really, get people get shot in the face a couple of times. Well, I was saying outside of what Tommy himself generates. Oh, yeah. Almost every scene of violence has to do with Tommy. Yeah, Tommy or Jimmy. Where it's killing Spider or the Billy Bats thing or when Tommy's actually killed, right? So Yeah. And we get that very early on with the, oh, you're a funny guy. And that's, that's we sort of see the instability of tommy oh yeah tommy's a nut tommy's a fucking nut and i and i think that he's a really good foil to henry who really isn't involved you know he i don't think he's really terribly interested in murdering anybody for him it's all about power but uh tommy definitely like gets off on shooting people killing people he's he's nuts he's fucking nuts Mm -hmm. which takes us to the whole billy bats murder and right. that started because it's old school versus new school. We have the old mob versus the new mob. Yeah. Jimmy, Henry, and Tommy are all new mob. And this Billy character and his guys, he just got out of prison, which mm-hmm. is actually what Henry will become later, although that doesn't really get surfaced as much. We don't get to see that um, shift of perspective that much, yeah. which is fine. I, th- I still think it's there. And so they murder Billy and Jimmy, and even Henry goes along with it after it becomes very clear that this is going to happen. And this is you know brings us back to the very first scene of the film which where they actually shoot and stab or stab and shoot as the chronology of that scene dictates and we see henry's face like uh-oh maybe i'm in too deep yeah that whole billy bats thing and and it's important too to know that billy bats is uh he's made and they all are not yeah, he's an untouchable yeah you can't you can't mess with him and because tommy is a nut and can't like he can't take a joke i mean and billy bats does sort of egg him on well doesn't sort of he does egg him on but you know you can't kill this guy and he does it anyway he just does it anyway which though makes Polly's response to it right where they kill tommy 
it's actually pretty reasonable. He doesn't go after Jimmy or Henry, who lied about knowing anything about this. Right. We understand the mom is not cohesive. There are factions, and the other faction is breathing down Polly's neck, I think he says. And in sort of recompense, they offer up Tommy. Yeah, and, you know, it's it just seems surprising that they, they don't get the fuck rid of Tommy earlier. Like, he's clearly a liability. He shoot, he's shoot, he shot Spider! You know, he shoots him in the foot, and then he shoots him dead. He, he starts fight every, fights everywhere he goes. They, he, He's just, like, a liability. You can't have that. I think this gets into the idea that there's a desensitization to violence in yeah. this film. Because Tommy gets increasingly, increasingly more violent. Jimmy's like, oh, what'd you do that for when he kills Spider? But it's not incredibly no one drops everything and says this is really bad you've done we're going to take you out of this right right and i think we are first given the glimmer of why tommy's not taken out when the restaurant owner talks about tommy hasn't Mm -hmm. paid his bill it's like what seven thousand dollar tab he's got run up the he goes to paulie and and then paulie says what do you want me to do and he's like or something along these lines you know maybe it's not such a bad idea to have him shot and then you see paulie's face and you realize like Okay, so what's at stake here is not that Polly, or not, sorry, not that Tommy is perfect, but that he's one of Polly's guys. Yeah. And cannot be, like, he's within that faction. So an outsider, the restaurant owner saying, you should do something about it, is met with the most fervent opposition. Right. right. So, and then Henry's solution to that is to go into business with the restaurant owner, right? Polly takes a share of it, and eventually right. they burn down the restaurant um, to cover insurance, but they, so they make, that re- they like burn out that restaurant owner yeah in literally more ways they, burn, I mean, yeah. they burn him out but it shows that henry is not willing to go with violence he does not second the idea of violence but not yeah. doing that really kind of leads them into this huge problem that they have with Tommy right. specifically. and i mean henry in the end is is pretty decent of a of a mobster right i mean as as much as you can be um because he's not in, he you know he's not involved in all these murders he's always trying to come up with a you know a solution um but he but it's the he's like in love with the power uh and the thrill of like being a gangster which is part of his problem in that he can't keep it in his pants right yeah because that's part of his his power tripping and so he has not one but two other girlfriends yeah which leads to tension with karen there's that scene where karen sits on the bed and has a gun to his head right yeah puts a gun in his face eventually throws her down and he says i have enough to worry about without you doing this and it's like yeah so why are you doing this like you are the agent of your own destruction in this case yeah which i mean ultimately he is because the situation with janice gets out of hand then cheryl uh and then they find i think they actually um insinuate that what puts them away is that all the cocaine that they find at cheryl's place because she doesn't clean anything up because she's a big yeah uh, big user and he even says it henry himself like hey you know they have enough to put us away for, I don't know, it's just like a long time. So um, you need to clean this place up. Yeah, he's so, like, I bought you a dishwasher. And she won't so, use it. Yeah. So talking about like too many loose ends, the way Jimmy yeah. and Polly operate, Henry himself has too many loose ends, and that leads to his destruction. Which leads us into our pivotal scene where Tommy's actually killed. Take a listen. When they found Carbone in the meat truck, he was frozen so stiff it took them two days to thaw him out for the autopsy. Still, I never saw Jimmy so happy. He was like a kid. 
We had money coming in through my Pittsburgh people, and even after a while, the Lufthansa thing began to calm down. But the thing that made Jimmy so happy that morning was that this was the day that Tommy was being made. Jimmy was so excited, you'd think he was being made. He must have made four calls to Tommy's house. They had a signal all set up so he'd know that the minute that the ceremony was over. Hi. Mom, where are you? Oh, here I am. Home, I'm leaving. I've been here all the way. Let me look at you. Let me look. What do you think? I look good. You look wonderful. Listen, yeah. just be careful. Congratulations. I wish you lots of luck. I love you. Don't paint any more religious pictures, please. Be careful. God be with you. Bye, Mom. You know, we always called each other good fellas. Like you'd say to uh, somebody, you're gonna like this guy. He's all right. He's a good fella. He's one of us. You understand? We were good fellas. Wise guys. Jimmy and I could never be made because we had Irish blood. It didn't even matter that my mother was Sicilian. To become a member of a crew, you've got to be 100% Italian so they can trace all your relatives back to the old country. See, it's the highest honor they can give you. It means you belong to a family and a crew. It means that nobody can fuck around with you. It also means you could fuck around with anybody just as long as they aren't also a member. It's like a license to steal. It's a license to do anything. Well, what do you want to All right, thanks, man. Hey, how many years ago was he was made? Nah, I'm an old friend. 30 years ago. 30 years, huh? Yeah. Brings back a lot of memories. And how? Mike's Pete was a fucking pimple now, wasn't it? <laughs> as far as Jimmy was concerned, with Tommy being made, it was like we were all being made. We would now have one of our own as a member. Oh, no. And I think this is the point in the film where, like, you you can see that things there's not really a, an easy way out of any of this, like. It, you know, he's in so deep now that, like, even his buddies are getting killed. And we jump right from that to, you know, his, like, drug-fueled... We jump into the 80s, right? And so, like, things are... He's, he's too far gone at this point. Like, this is where you really see, like, you, he's either going to die or he's, you know... Or he's going to have to get out somehow, which, of course, he does by, you know, witness protection. Right, which I think leads me into my thesis statement. And so let, let you try this one on for size. Crime is always a zero-sum game. And there are fates worse than death for people like Henry Hill, in which when you are bound to a life of utter domesticity, you see him walk out, collect the newspaper... When you are away from all the spectacle of violence and the sort of power that you are so not even used to, utterly dependent upon, that sentence of witness protection, I think, is worse than death for Henry. I like that. Mine, I think mine's not too terribly different. Uh, you know, I have, if you seek power, money, and thrills over everything else in life, all else, then you either burn yourself out or you end up settling down in the real world which is basically hell you know you have to give up you have to go cold turkey on your power and your thrills and your money yeah it, it is a hell for henry right i think that's a good way to describe it the ending for him is hell and you even get the insinuation that without that power game 
of crime that Henry and Karen can't stay together. Like their relationship was built on power, which we know because he gives her a bloody gun and that's the turning point for her after yeah. he beats her next door neighbor almost to death it seems. Yeah. She says a lot of people would would put it into it right there, but it, she says something like it was a turn on for me. Yeah, she's yeah, she's as much in love with the with the gangster lifestyle as he is. And you know, she and that I think is part of her attraction to him, right? Is that he is a gangster. Like if he weren't a gangster, I don't think she would really be that interested in him. Right. And she, and we talked about this gun scene earlier where she has a gun to his head. Uh, she's doing the voiceover in that scene also. And she says he was still very attractive to me. Yeah. Because he's a powerful man. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our three questions. So first, do we care about this film? Um, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Do you care about this film? <laughs> I think I do, right? Because it is the first of our sort of mob films on this list, mm-hmm. of which there are more than a couple, Godfather 1 and 2 being part yeah. of that, right? Um, and, of course, I haven't seen those either. But this sort of acts as foundational for me. I know it's yeah. 1990 and a lot of stuff before it. But I think this clarifies a lot of that cultural trope. In fact, I was watching this with my uncle, uh, this past weekend and I uh, says that guy looks like the mobster from the Simpsons and I was like oh you're totally right like yeah. that's absolutely where they got that from yeah and it, it is such a like cultural touchstone like everybody has seen it well maybe not everybody but you know it's it's just such a I mean it has it, you know it's it's out there and it, I mean it is good although I will say this about this film this time around because I've seen it a couple of times before uh, and this time around, I watched it, and man, I just, I didn't feel good afterwards. <laughs> oh, I don't think you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to feel really bad at the end of this. I know. I, like, the only part that I think was, that felt good was that beginning, that, like... Oh, yeah. Right. It, it gets you, like, it's the, it's the it's the intoxication and hangover, right? This film yeah. does. It gets you drunk on power, and then it completely purges it from you with and this even sort of like troubling the, ending. the representation of, like, all of the spoils of the of the gangster life like it's all gaudy it's all like dark and closed off spaces so many pinky rings yeah the fucking pinky rings and like the pink car and the ridiculous house where the the wall is made out of rocks and then it opens up like all of that just the, just the spaces none of them were spaces i wanted to be in like in they're all like i don't know hazy and it's either dark and small or like dark and just it's all gold and gaudy and i think you're absolutely right yeah Yeah, like this is like the uh this is like some people's idea of plastic surgery where they want like the extreme shifts and they look like not people or this power is not a power that should be attractive like if you find this kind of power to be attractive there should be something i mean there is something wrong with you yeah and I mean, there certainly are. I know there are people out there that this movie, like, this movie made them want to be a gangster. And I don't know if maybe that's how I felt when I watched it when I was younger. Um, but definitely this time around, I was like, this life seems awful. I would, I want nothing to do with this. Uh, I don't want to live this lifestyle. Being a gangster looks terrible. I think I texted somebody. Was Did I text you when I was watching it? And I was like, fuck gangsters. Like, that sound, <laughs> that looks awful. No, I think there's someone else. But, oh. yeah, I, I, I get the sentiment. Absolutely. 
Which, so you mentioned this being a t- uh, cultural touchstone. I think this gets us very perfectly into our second question yeah. of what do we owe this film? Yeah, I mean, there are just so many sort of like, you know, of course the scene, you know, do you think I'm funny? The Joe Pesci scene that uh, was actually originally ad-libbed. A lot of stuff in this film was ad-libbed, uh, and then they worked it into the script. Um, yeah, I mean, and just the idea of the of a good fella, like, it's just such a very, like, classically mobster, you know, so many, there are so many cultural references. Mm-hmm that hark into that uh and they do totally like play with and i'm sure the, and the idea of the gangster like oh i'm a gangster has been around a long time um but i think you know this is a film that you know comes around in 1990 and reminds everybody like hey gangsters are still here they're still a thing so and it's a very much not the fedora wearing tommy gun shooting gangster right it gives a very certain idea of a gangster yeah and we get a whole like reservoir of of mob tropes from this film right and it's it's sort of updated a little bit it's not the 40s gangster it's like gangsters from like the like early 60s to the 80s and we see it transition but it's still that sort of like it's all gaudy and it's still all you know harkens back to that a little bit absolutely yeah this definitely acts as a sort of age of of mobsters which you can use different films for before and after but this one is very like you mentioned very very much centered in between these two phases of gangsters and it's very recognizable to us yeah and when is scarface so scar no scarface oh, is which in the one 80s. rather well the the uh pacino one yeah the pacino one that's 83 okay uh so yeah i think this is like another sort of like hey gangsters are still here gives us maybe a perhaps a different or deeper angle about the yeah, I think maybe it gives a uh, it's the same but with a twist is what I would call it. Yeah. Like it still plays into some of these older tropes, but you know it's representing them um, and sort of re I don't know. If anything, it's just sort of putting it back out there. Like every couple of years, you need a gangster movie. You know what I mean to like remind yeah. people that gang and and this is the one that like did that people saw and people really like. I think you're right. So let's get into our last question of does it hold up? Yeah, and I mean, I would say that it does. It doesn't, you know, I don't think it's terribly dated outside of the fact that it is in a lot of ways a period piece. I think it holds up very well. And Just speaking cinematographically, cinematographically, I guess you'd say, and also the effects and sort of the pacing and dialogue, I think it, it holds up very well. It is really long comparatively to like a modern film like a 2016 film yeah but i think it's all well spent right there's two very distinct arcs there's like we could let's talk about like you know the intoxication arc and then the hangover arc and i think both are very well done um and you need both so it is a long film but i do i do think it holds up very well yeah it you know the fact that this is a 26 year old almost 27 year old film you know it doesn't really necessarily seem that way you know, because again, the the effects are pretty tastefully done, uh, except for I have to say this. Oh my God, the the there's definitely some wig work going on to make these guys because they, they're supposed to be like you know, uh, 21 or something. And there's that line, and this I definitely texted to you uh, when I was watching this movie, where he's I think the Karen has a voiceover and she's like, he was a 21 year old kid. And um, I was just like, are you, are you kidding me? There is not, no way. uh, There's just no way that, uh, Ray Liotta looks 
21. No. And also, um, Robert De Niro is described as very young. So when Henry is in the, you know, the non Ray Liotta Henry. Right. Uh, Jimmy's supposed to look really young, De Niro. And you're just like, you're not fooling anybody here. Right. Uh, and, jo- and Joe Pesci for a while has some some wigs on that i'm there was a, a moment or two where i was like that is a that wig is bad man yeah so i guess you're <laughs> right about that but that seems to be sort of minor things just like our our ray liotta jackal laughing you know? yeah Doesn't and man ray liotta's an ugly motherfucker i'm sorry <laughs> god he's ugly in this movie and i don't know if he really is ugly in life but just the way he's shot on this man he looks bad well it's you know part half literally half the film he's supposed to so right yeah I can kind of get behind that as intentional yeah. But in any case, let's say we wrap it up for this episode. Sure. We have, two weeks from now, uh, number 91 on the list, uh, Sophie's Choice. Sophie's Choice. So I actually know, you know, I know what a Sophie's Choice is, right? So I know that yeah. sort of common parlance. Uh, but I have not seen the film. And looking up stuff for spoilers, I uh, was very confused. So um, oh. I guess I'm going to look forward to seeing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I've never seen it. So it will be fun. Okay, well, until then, I'm Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers! There Will Be Spoilers was hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. We were produced by Matt Bazell. Our music is by the enigmatic Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find his music all over the internet. Google him. Our artwork was by Becca Knight. You can follow her on Twitter at... Becca the Knight with a K, or you can find her website at nightdraws.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. You can follow us on Facebook at There Will Be Spoilers. And you can shoot us an email if you want at spoilerscast at gmail.com. We plan on answering emails on our off-week podcast, so be sure to send in your questions or comments. And finally, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and or SoundCloud review us please thanks for listening there are secrets beyond imagination there are memories time cannot erase it was a season of delight in a place called brooklyn the season of sophie of sophie and nathan and a young man called stingo I love that the piece. <laughs> Look at this God's gift. Give me a kiss. One kiss. Salami, you know that song, right? All summer long they were together drawing ever closer to the mystery of Sophie. Ever closer to her unthinkable secret. Sophie. Please don't go, don't go away from me, please. When I told you that the only thing I absolutely demand of you, the only single thing is fidelity. Sophie, why'd you lie to me? Oh, the truth, the truth. I don't even know what is the truth. After all these lies I have told, Tell me why. There are so many things you don't understand.